It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to Mariner's Pod. Thanks for being here once again. Really appreciate it. And today we are going to explore the journey of Thai France. We'll get to that in just a moment. We'll also hear from Bob Nightingale. We had a chance to catch up with him in Houston, get a national perspective on the Mariners and talk about some different subjects. Uh, Ty France, though, is off, as you know, to a wonderful start this season. And really, since he became a Mariner, all he has done is hit. His journey has been really interesting. So we're going to explore how Ty France got here. It has been a fantastic start to the season for Ty France. When you look at the leaderboard in baseball, you'll find the name Ty France at just about the top at every offensive category. He has been spectacular this season for the Mariners. No balls and a strike, two outs, the pitch. Swung on, crushed. Deep left center field. Back she goes and gone. Fifth hit of the night for Ty France, and he sucked it out of here. A three-run blast, and the Mariners have poured it on. Lucky number 13 on the board. 13-7 Mariners as Ty France explodes one out into the pen. Batting average on base percentage, slugging, he has done it all. Here's the pitch, swing on driven deep down the line, left field, it's hooking, fair ball, fair ball, a two-run homer by Ty France, and he continues to just rock here in Seattle. A 2-0 lead for the Mariners for Ty France. And the story of how Ty France got to this point is an interesting one. The common thread, he has hit everywhere he has been. San Diego kid who starred at San Diego State, and he played for one of the best hitters who's ever lived in the late great Tony Gwynn. He was real adamant about, you know, walking onto campus day one, and he was not, you know, Tony Gwynn, the great baseball player, he was coach Gwynn. And, you know, he kind of took that like father figure role for us and said, you know, I'm not here to be a superstar. I'm here to help you be a superstar. So that was one of the cool things that I thought that he did um, that, you know, really helped us as 18 year old kids away from home for the first time. And it wasn't even about like all the baseball stuff. He, you know, obviously helped us on the field but it was the off the field stuff that you know hit home for a lot of us and Gwyn would hop in the cage once in a while to show him how it's done you know we were struggling as a team uh I think we were hitting like 210 maybe as a team and he just got fed up with it and hopped in the cage and coach Martinez was throwing throwing batting practice and he said you know he'd call out where he was going to hit a you know double to left center double to right center single through the five six hole and then like the last pitch, he goes, Mark, watch out and hits a, you know, smoking line drive right past his head. Um, and then walks out of the cage and he goes, see guys, it's not that hard. <laughs> and left, left us with that. It was like, Oh, all right. In three years at San Diego state, France hit 317 with a 417 on base percentage, then 356 
with a 450 on base percentage, and then 336 with a 428 on base percentage. Despite the ridiculous numbers, France was only drafted in the 34th round, and here's his explanation for why it wasn't higher. I, I wish I had an answer for you guys. I, I really don't know. Um, you know, I, I had an agent at the time that had told me, you know, going into my junior years, looking anywhere between rounds three and eight, um, and clearly that didn't happen. And, you know, I, I really don't have an answer for you guys. I, I don't know. The only thing I can maybe link it up to was um, – after my sophomore year, I had labrum surgery, um, but played a full junior year, fully healthy. So you know, I, I really don't know the answer. He continued to hit in the minors with the San Diego Padres after being drafted, including making some adjustments to his game. You know, I, I try and use all fields. Coming up through the minor leagues, you know, it wasn't really a power bat until probably double A. And then, you know, just got a little bit older, a little bit stronger and you know, for, for me, when I'm going well, I'm driving the ball gap to gap and, you know, doubles and homers are playing. Um, I played at, uh, we call it, it was, it was the Wolf then, um, you know, San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And it's known as like a pitcher's ballpark. And my first year there, everyone kind of got in my head that it was a pitcher's ballpark and you can't hit home runs there and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I kind of gave up on the home run thing. Like I didn't try to hit home runs. I didn't, you know, practice hitting home runs or anything. And um, I think I only hit like four or five home runs that year. And then the next year I went back there and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and hit home runs regardless. Um, if they're not home runs there, they're going to be doubles or home runs at other places. So kind of worked on that. And um, I think I ended up hitting like 22 home runs that year. So from then on, I kind of, you know, used that as kind of my identity. And once he made it to the Padres, with the help of a teammate, he really locked in on his current approach. We had brought Tommy Pham over to San Diego, and what he had learned with the Rays was to be very stubborn with your approach. And um, he came into spring training and he said, kind of said, hey, guys, this is how things, things are going to be over here. We're going to be stubborn. And, you know, I really took that to heart and um, really tried to implement that in my game. And, uh, you know, I, I think it helped me a lot last year. I think as a hitter, you just kind of, you fall into traps and um, you, a lot of guys think you're only going to get one good pitch to hit. And, you know, the more stubborn you can be, the more likely you are to get more pitches to hit. And I think for us in San Diego, we were okay with, you know, going down O2, knowing we were still going to get something to hit. And if we did go down O2, it was just a fight. And, um, you know, we kind of just took that mentality and, you know, it, it definitely helped a lot. It, you know, pitchers were out of pitches in the fourth, fifth inning, and you're in their bullpen in the first game instead of the second game. And, it, you know, it just it helps throughout the season. And then the trade to the Mariners at the deadline in 2020, Jerry DePoto and his staff had long held affection for Ty France. I was uh, going back and forth with a man you already referenced, Jesse Smith, Mariners director of analytics. And, you know, Jesse's just like, over the text message, he's just, if there's an emoji for like drooling, like Jesse is just emoji drooling over Ty France, right? And I'm like, oh, hey, great. Like he guy hit basically 400 in the PCL. Like I can see his reference page. I can see the fan graphs page. It all looks good. I said, what do you like the most about France? And he said, quality airborne contact, which is something I have never, <laughs> this is never a first heard for me before. Too, yeah. And so, uh, 
Jerry, I'm going to put you on the spot. What does he mean by quality airborne contact for TY France? He hits the ball hard and he <laughs> hits it in the air. <laughs> and when it goes in the air, man, it is It quality. stays in the air. Yeah. Right? So, uh, it tie, and you can see it when you watch his at-bats. And his comfort in the in the box is very obvious. He's a, he's a low-anxiety hitter. I could say the same about Luis Torrens. A low-anxiety hitter who understands how to put on an A-B. And he knows what he wants to get out of it, which is to to, to get the ball in the air and to hit it hard and and you know I, obviously we're excited to add Ty he's been on our radar really for the last I'd say four years or so uh, we were especially over the last two to three years we have inquired multiple times on Ty France in a variety of different trade possibilities and we were roughly shot down each time and you know and I, I did I, I shared my it, good emoji game with uh, well what i think is a good emoji game but with jesse when we were able to to acquire ty and you know we we all have had a you know a, a something of an itch for ty france and he fits us so well he his his game represents the things that we value offensively you know his positional versatility gives us a nice bridge his age and c- controllability put him with a young group of like aged and talented players who we think have a chance to really, you know, excel together. And since joining the Mariners, all he has done is hit. Because he's really been quite good since the day he showed up in a Mariners uniform. And, you know, and it's only gotten more and more pronounced because I think now we're seeing not just the, the hit ability that he brings to the table or to the batter's box every time he steps in it. You know, we're seeing power start to manifest itself. He's, he's always been able to take his walk he is starting to develop a sense, at least it looks this way from, from where I sit. And Scott and I have talked about it quite a bit. He's starting to develop a sense for what the team needs him to do in a moment. And, and uh, I don't want to say it's as simple as oh, throwing on the power switch or throwing on the, oh, I better get hit pitch <laughs> you know, or, or switch. He's, he does what the team needs. When it's time to get a guy over, when it's time to do the simple thing, you know, Edgar will, will tell you that through the years, where you go to drive in your runs is in the middle of the field. You know, the, the, go to the big part of the field. Start in right center field and move that way. That's what Ty does. When, when he's in those moments, he hits like hitters who played years and years ago. There's some throwback in the way Ty does it. He's nearing 200 games as a Mariner. He has swatted 40 doubles. He's launched 25 homers. He's a 300 hitter with a 375 on base percentage. What he does offensively, the consistency with which he does it, uh, and and I think he's only getting better. It's uh, we've seen it within you know th- this season, but even just since he's joined us, you know he's 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 grown in his strike zone management. Mm. He's grown in his ability to get to his power. He's always had the power, you know. Now he's getting to it with more frequency, and I don't think that's going to change because he's he 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 really thinks about what he's doing in the batter's box. And he's got great rhythm. That, that helps. And the exclamation point was Ty France being named American League Player of the Week. Swung on, line drive, right field, down for a base hit. Julio will be a wave around third, steaming home. The throw to the plate on one hop. Julio slides. He is safe. Slides head first across home plate, and the Mariners have tied it up. Ty France has done it again. Hit number four in the game. When we've got a brand new ball game, seven to seven. Unbelievable. So no doubt he was seeing the ball well. What does it mean? 
for Ty France to see the ball well? Um, I think it starts in like your pregame preparation, you know, understanding who's pitching that day and um, what their strengths are and, you know, what you what they think your weaknesses are and trying to like match that up and um, you know going into the game with a plan and an approach um, definitely helps a lot and then once you get in the in the game just stepping in the box and just competing um, you know you want to try and get get pitches that start in certain windows and um, you know go from there and I think as long as for me, me personally speaking as long as I'm on time for the fastball I'm going to be in a good spot to hit so where does Ty France go from here time We'll tell. And the one nothing pitch. DeFrance swinging a shot deep to left field. Martin going back, and this one is gone. Goodbye, baseball. Viva La France. Ty France with a two-run home run in the top of the 11th inning. A line shot homer. And now we gather around the table and chat with Bob Nightingale. Baba, obviously uh, on the Astros side, you've got Dusty sitting on 2,000 wins, which is just you know, historic. But you also got a team over here on the other side that there seems to be a lot of interest in in the Mariners. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody wants to see the Mariners do well after you know all these years and the uh, you know was it you know twenty one years not the playoffs like this is the year. I mean, if you talk to everybody, it's like got to be good good to see that team win. I mean, there's so many executives, so many managers that always talked about if they want to go to a place, they'd love to go to Seattle just with the market and stuff like that. And everybody loves going to Seattle. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be a fun season. Uh, the guy in the other dugout, Dusty Baker, is 25th year as a manager and a great player as well. You know, with the Atlanta Braves, he had the best seat in the house when Hank Aaron hit his historic 715th career home run and also with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Where do you put uh, Dusty in perspective among the great managers in, in Major League Baseball? Because he's on the verge of something very historic. Yeah, I mean, certainly a Hall of Fame manager. Uh I think by coming back to Houston or coming to Houston made him the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure he would have gone in otherwise, but I think taking over this tough situation yeah. and, uh, you know, one game away from the World Series, one year last year in the World Series, uh, just phenomenal. I and mean, everybody knows what kind of guy he is. I mean, I've never been around a person in my life uh, that has this wide array of friends I mean, in every walk of life. Uh, so many different perspectives. But, yeah, and I always promised him, if you get to 2,000, I'll be there. So I took a flight <laughs> early nice. this morning from uh, from Phoenix. But, yeah, I mean, uh, only 11 guys have been 2,000. I think he'll be the seventh quickest to it. Wow. One thing that you, you know, when you look at it, I was looking at this today. You know, he's never had a Hall of Fame player. I mean, Barry Bond should be, but right. he's never had one. All the other managers have all had Hall of Famers. And more than one, right? Yeah. Wow. Uh, let me get back to the, the whole Mariners discussion. When you when you talk to people around around baseball, in addition to coming to Seattle because it's a great city, but what are they saying about how this journey is going to let, under Jerry the last few years? It's almost like okay, now it's time to win. And it's like you know people say okay, you know, got the prospects and stuff, the farm system's still good, but hey, you want to build a winning team. You know, like the old thing, it's like you don't want to be on the cover of Baseball America. You want to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the parade. You know, you want to uh, you know show it at the major league level. So I think, you know, across the game, people are saying they have to win now. You know, at least, you know, I mean, last year was close enough. But now it's like, especially with expanded playoffs, no excuses. Got to win. Absolutely. When you look at that team, what's of interest to you? Yeah, just, you know, the the young talent. Young guys are emerging, you know, whether it's a, uh, you know, uh, uh, Logan Gilbert, you know, Rodriguez, of course. You know, at some point, you know, you know, 
Jared Kelnick's got to you know break out and be that player. But just the uh, it's not like a one year flash. It's like this team should be good for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know last year you know knocking the door like you did. Now it's time like okay get in the playoffs. And then uh, okay if you don't go to the World Series this year, then next year it's World Series or bust. You know start to get in that area. Well, you know a lot like Houston. I mean Houston was you know bad for a long time there. Three and years ago, where they lost a hundred. Yeah. Uh, you know, when they lose one, one eleven that one year, and like the last, you know, seven years, it might be the best mm-hmm. franchise. I mean, they're in the playoffs and knocking the World Series uh, all the time. You know, them and the, them and the Dodgers. Bob, it's been an interesting start to the season in both leagues. What have been some of the biggest surprises for you, team wise and, and player wise? Team wise, I think uh, you know, me and Minnesota Twins. I think last year was an aberration that they weren't very good. I know they, you know, picked up Korea, but just to see them bouncing back to where they were a couple of years ago, I think that got to be a pleasant surprise in that division. You know, White Sox obviously a disappointment. Uh, you know, we'll see about the Mets. The Mets have got off these kind of starts before, but I, I think Show Walter was a great pickup. Yeah. I can't believe he's been on the game for that long. I mean, you talk to him, he's like a genius. You always walk away like, man, I didn't know that. Uh, fun guy, fun guy to uh, talk to. And I think, you know, in your division, I think the Angels have got to be a surprise. Yeah. Uh, particularly the way they pitched. Yeah, that was the big question. Because you had a feeling they were going to hit. And who's it? The Ward kid has come out of, you know, a big surprise to everybody. Trout's healthy. Does that pitching sustain itself, you think, this season? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I didn't see it in spring training. I thought it was okay. But we'll see. It's like, you know, it's to be about baseball. The once they should do games, there's never a fluke. We'll see them keep it up the whole year. So you wonder about that, you know. Let's see, uh, let's see what Otani does this year. You know, after what he did last year, I think a big guy is Rendon. I mean, he's been a huge yeah. disappointment. Yeah. Uh, you know, not staying healthy. You wonder, okay, does how much does this guy really like to play? <laughs> that sort of thing. And he's irritated teammates too. So I mean, I, I think it's big for him to step up and have a good year uh, to show that hey, he's just going to go there for the paycheck and retire. Bob, when you look at the game now, and it's funny because you talk about Dusty and you talk about Buck Showalter, and at some point it seemed like, you know, you're never going to see those managers again that have that experience, and they are still managing. And, of course, they understand how the game is played and, and the numbers and everything else. But when you look at the game where it is so reliant on the numbers and how uh, players can make changes so quick, you know, what might have taken months to diagnose with a pitcher now can, you know, one edge on a camera, look at a grip and whatnot. It can change. Where do you see kind of the game heading in in, in you know, kind of historic terms? Well, well, I think it helps that, you know, Dusty Baker has done so well and that Buck is and in uh, La Rosa last year. You know, you got to, uh, you know, manage by what you see, too. Remember a couple of years in the playoffs, Dusty Baker left a uh, Zach Greinke in. Greinke was getting tired, but he was still better than anybody else they had in the bullpen. And people would have lit him up if Greinke gave up a hit there. And he didn't. He got out of the, out of the inning. And Dusty was shocked just at the questions. He goes, aren't you watching the same game? But too many managers go by the books. Like, you know, the Kevin Cashians in the World Series, you know, with Blake Snell. I think, you know, it's going to be almost impossible to ever live that down. The way he was pitching, you know, that was the system they went by. But you don't take a kid like that out of the game. Bob, a lot of changes in the game of baseball down through the years. What's next? We're waiting for the pitch clock. I think that's going to be a great innovation. What do you think about Robo that? Robo lumps. And, and the, and, <laughs> oh, I hope not. And, and what else? Uh, yeah, so we'll the see the uh, yeah we'll see the pitch clock next year, uh, in large bases, three inches bigger. Uh, we'll see next year, and also with the uh, uh, 
not ban the ship or restrict the ships. Right, two on each side of the infield. Yeah, maybe. Or they may just say you got to start with one foot in the dirt or two feet in the dirt. Yeah. You can still have four guys right side second base if you want. But you got to be in the dirt. You can't be in the outfield grass. So try that. Well, it's interesting. The minor leagues at the last year, the ship didn't do anything offensive numbers. It was about even. I mean, how many routine ground balls you see and no one's covering there. Yeah. The enlarged bases meant one more stolen base a game. But the pitch clock was a big difference. It was right. about a 25-point exactly. batting average difference. Uh, you know, uh, home runs were uh, up, strikeouts were down, even walks were down. So I think it gets pitchers out of comfort zone a little bit and helps out the offense. Well, we see more guys put just putting the ball in play. I mean, your, your, your home run guys are going to be home run guys, but everybody else put the ball in play, doubles, triples. Might that come back? Yeah, you know, you see the you guys see the Angels a lot. The Angels are doing that now. You know, yeah. going back to like eighty-five baseball, as a uh, as uh, Madden's been saying. But yeah, even I think the ball's been the newer balls are de- are more dead for that reason. Like just put the ball in play. You know, it's like a uh, you know, and the beauty about baseball also, you know, is getting guys on base just a rally. Like a drive in the NFL is great. Yeah. If uh, you know, if uh, NFL was like baseball, you know, have uh, you know Tom Brady would be throwing a bomb on every play. It's cool when it works, but for three quarters, yeah. nothing's going to happen. How sincere do you think the effort is to try and kind of keep the game in check in that way that you do have that balance, that you do have actual offense and not just all home runs and, and strikeouts? Yeah, I think that's very big concern. I mean, tennis has been down four straight years, down again, you know, this year. Uh, you know, TV numbers are down. Nationally, not regionally? Yeah, nationally. Nationally. Yeah, regional, yeah, it's, it's fine, but yeah, nationally. Right. And they, uh, but they want to become more of a national sport, not a regional sport. You bet. And they, uh, and do that. But yeah, I just think they need to see more rallies, more you know, people aren't turning off the TV set. Got one last question for you. You were one of a handful of reporters that had us just all glued <laughs> to our Twitter and our computers during the lockout when it was coming to an end. I can't imagine what it was like to cover the back and the forth and the back and the forth. So here you are. What was it like those two nights when it looked like they would come to a deal for for you as a reporter? Yeah, it was crazy in Florida. At least the, floor, the weather in Florida was great. So at least we weren't freezing at night or something like that. But, yeah, it's all dark, and you're out there, and people are driving by like, who are those idiots standing <laughs> And I still insist that it would have ended a week earlier if those people had not gone to bed. They went to bed at 3 in the morning. They should have yeah. just stayed up all night. Right. They would have they got it done. I think we all had a bad feeling at that <laughs> right. point. You left. I came down to March 1st because I thought it was going to get done after 3 o'clock in the morning. All you got to do is dot the I's, cross the T's. I go, okay, it's going to be good, but no. So he headed to Arizona on the first Yeah, <laughs> the first I did. It was, but it was fascinating at the very end, the fact that the executive committee all voted against it and say, wait a minute now, the, you know, the rank and file the people, file let's go for this. There's yeah. a young players that, hey, that's a yeah. good pay raise let's to get play. 700 minimum. Time to play. Let's, let's play. go. <laughs> Thank, Thank you for everything you do, Bob. It's great to run into you. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Bob. you, Shannon. Thank you. Good, good to see you, Bob. Thank you, Thank you, Dave. Keep it going for you at USA Today. Absolutely. Thank you. Good plug there. <laughs> USA Today's Bob Nightingale.